Let's uh, let's go together for prayer. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In Jesus' name. Our text this evening is found in Revelation chapter 7. Um, We'll be reading chapter 7 through the first verse of chapter 8. Here now we've got word. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seals, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every language, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where uh, have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. 
they will they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the Lord, the Lamb, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So, uh, Lord's Day, it is on. Well, that could be because it's, it fell out of the clip. See if we can do something about this. Okay. All right. That sounds a little stronger. So last Lord's Day evening, well, it was the 24th, we began um, the, se- the first of the seven cycles that make up this book of Revelation by which God shows us what was and what is and what is, and what is to come. Um, in this first cycle, uh, <clears throat> he does this by means of the image of the opening of seven seals. And there we see the entire uh, turn of redemptive history, of human history, in terms there of sinful struggles and conflicts of mankind, conquest and militarism, the slaughter and persecution of the saints, scarcity and struggle, the, the terror of violence and disease and death, the cry of the martyrs from heaven, and finally, with the opening of the sixth seal, the judgment of the second coming of Christ. Now, the content uh, of the um, second seal continues, uh, uh, the content, rather, of the seventh seal, chapter seven. I'm getting confused with seals and chapters. And, um, the content of chapter seven um, continues with the description uh, of the occurrences surrounding the sixth seal, which we touched on uh, before. Uh, that is the events uh, associated with the second coming of our Lord. And we actually come to the opening of the seventh and last seal very briefly in the first verse of chapter 8. You may have noticed that. Always remember that the chapter and verse divisions in the Bible were not inspired. And, um, and they, were added, they were actually added later. And some of them are are not quite where they ought to be. There's an old story that the man, whose name I neglect to remember now, was, was doing some of this editing while he was on his horse. And every now and then the horse would stumble and that's where the, that's where the chapter would end. <laughs> Sometimes you feel it could be that arbitrary. In this case, it does seem out of place. Um, but the key to understanding this chapter, chapter 7, is to see that there are two groups um, and two companies uh, described, both of whom uh, belong uh, to the Lord. And the first group, um, which is described um, uh, as the 144,000, appears in verses 4 to 8. They're also called the servants of God. And, and this is you and I. Uh, this is sometimes called the church militant. 
um, the church militant. The church militant are all those believers now living throughout the world, even you and I, wrestling, yes, fighting, battling every day with the world, the flesh, and the devil. When Christians sing the hymns like Onward Christian Soldiers or Am I a Soldier of the Cross, they're not referring to a classic military conflict. These are not army fight songs that soldiers might sing to sort of hype themselves off before charging onto the field of of battle. Not exactly. But we do recognize that we are all engaged in a spiritual battle against sin and Satan, the, the great enemy of our souls, the great enemy of the Church of Christ. And Onward, Christian Soldiers, is a hymn of the church militant. Uh, If you don't know that you are um, engaged in a spiritual battle, brothers and sisters, then you are asleep. You are naive and self-deceived. Or you're sitting uh, dangerously on the sidelines. I mean, honestly, aren't you weary of battling your own indwelling sin. You know what I mean by that, the old man within us. Uh, Aren't you weary of that? Let me tell you, I am weary of this. For me in my life, and this is a very apt uh, illustration today, it's like shoveling heavy, wet snow that just keeps on falling. Sometimes heavier, sometimes lighter, but there are always at least some flurries. And this stuff is not white and clean. It's dark and dirty. And it stinks. And I can always smell it. And sometimes other people can smell it on me. This stuff that seeps out of my heart. Aren't you weary of that too? Not just of my stuff, but, but battling your own stuff, your own sin. Aren't you sorrowed to to hear about the persecution of of Christians around the the world, brothers and sisters who are marginalized and disadvantaged and cursed and abused and are battling for their faith and their confession of Christ? They're in a battle. And, and, And don't you feel the weight of sorrow to hear about the moral failures, the divisions, the the biblical erosion that poisons and drags down the holy name and witness of Christ's church, ignited and burning on the fuel of greed and anger and lust and clannish suspicion and hardness of heart. Pastor so-and-so caught running off with the church secretary. The metro megachurch throwing off the scriptures and confessions of the church so as to bless same-sex marriage or fit in somehow with the prevailing winds of culture in our day and age. Or the, the audits of the, of the books of First Presbyterian Church Nowheresville, which reveals that millions of dollars have been siphoned off over the last ten years while their denominational college trustees fight off the evolutionists and liberals on the faculty. These are the same old battles that the church has been fighting forever. This is nothing new. There's nothing new under, under the sun. And yes, so we are well named the church militant. We're in a battle and ultimately it's a spiritual battle. And so we need to put on spiritual armor. You, you know what this is. 
I'm talking about, right? The, the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible, and prayer, especially prayer. And by the way, why don't we have more prayer meetings in this church? Just asking. Well, the good news. Uh, the good news for the weary church militant is found in this <clears throat> number, 144,000, that we read about in, in verse 4, and which is unnecessarily... Uh, been um, the source of far too much silly speculation. It must be taken symbolically. That fact is signaled by a number of factors. For example, the particular uh, numerology uh, having to do with 12 throughout the Bible. 12 is one of those numbers. Um, The fact that exactly 12,000 are sealed. Each of 12 tribes multiplied by 12,000. Uh, we, we see the same number, 144,000 in Revelation 14, used to describe a multitude who are identified plainly as those who have been purchased out of, of, of the earth. Uh, so this multitude is not to be identified as national Israel according to the flesh or for the number of special people of any sort of denomination or group, uh, but spiritual Israel, the faithful sons and daughters Uh, who share the faith of Abraham, Jew and Gentile alike. Nor can it be taken as a literal number, that's to say that we're not to suppose that exactly 144,000.0 people are to be saved uh, and sealed, period. Don't get so twisted around the axle of these details here that you miss the great point. And the great point is that there is a set and determined number of people, a very, very great number of people, who have been chosen and sealed under the Lord. We're told, verse 1, of these four angels that are holding back the winds, holding back the judgment uh, that's been referred to in the the earlier seals. Uh, We might even say they're delaying the final part of that judgment, uh, the, the, the coming of Christ in the glorious last day, that's there. And why are they holding it back? And what? They're holding it back until the full number of the elect have been called out of darkness into the wonderful light of Christ, counted and sealed and secured. Praise God. You see, we see this idea of sealing those who belong to God in other places, in the book of Ezekiel, for example. And likewise, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says... Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership upon us and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's not describing there three separate actions, anointing, sealing, gifting with the Holy Spirit, but but one event, one action described in three aspects all of which occur uh, when we're saved. Uh, To be sealed means to be marked, to be certified as a genuine believer and as such protected. Uh, That we, we're not spared judgment in the world. We know that. The four horsemen still ride, need I tell you. Um, In fact, we're cleansed 
by these persecutions. We're cleansed by the wrestling with our sins and the sins of others around us to sanctify us and test us and prove our faith. Our, our instinctive grip and love of the world and the pleasures that we take in it are shaken loose by tribulations and sorrows and sufferings and cancers and strokes and dementias and pandemics which have plagued God's people throughout recorded history. No, we don't have it under control. Our attitude, our willingness, and our ability to receive those tribulations in faith as Christians marks us as a people who belong to the Lord, a people who willingly engage in our sorrows and engage in sins and the sins sins of others in, in faith and trust and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. By which the Apostle Paul tells us that we're sharing, that we're entering into the sufferings of Christ himself. And and so we persevere in these battles because it honors Christ and because we know that we will never, never, never be lost. That's the great point. Your soul cannot be touched. God is counting. He counts. He's numbered. He intimately knows his elect. He chose them from eternity. And we are marked and sealed as his. Jesus did not die in vain. We will be saved. So that's the great thing to understand here in Revelation 7. And look, this is, this is all figurative. There's no angel going around putting, putting little marks on people's uh, heads as as the, as the, pre, uh, the predestined elect of God. Um, uh, rather, the purpose of this is to give us a visual image of angels at work, of God's people being counted, sealed, secured, uh, to, to buck up the church militant, uh, to show us and to assure us that God is careful to see that no one will be missed. That's why he's given us these numbers, mysterious as they are to us, but not to God. We don't know who God has chosen. The doctrine of election is mysterious, but ultimately it's none of our business. That's why we're called to take the gospel to everyone. If everybody had a little mark on their, on their forehead, we'd say, well, I don't need to bother with that fellow. He's already in. But, but I don't think... That's you know, not that at all. God knows. Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up. I will raise them up on the last day. John 6, 39. You and I must never despair uh, in the troubles of this life. If you've confessed Christ as your Savior, if you've named him as your Lord, then you belong to Jesus. You've been counted and sealed and secured. You're part of the church militant and you will all get to heaven That's the first and most powerful takeaway from Revelation chapter 7 and 6. Believe it. Hold tight onto it. But there's a second group. A second group of people represented in chapter 7, isn't there? Look at verse 9. After this I look, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now this is the church triumphant. The church militant are those living here on earth for Jesus. The church triumphant 
are those who are already in heaven. Those who have departed to be with the Lord. They too are waiting for the final day uh, when all of their loved ones who trusted Christ back on earth will be snatched away to join them and Christ will return to earth as described in the sixth seal. But this group, you see, doesn't need to be sealed and counted because they're already safe at home. (laughs) They've come through all the tribulation. They've come through all that stuff that we saw in in detail in chapter 6. And uh, the militarism and the slaughter and the persecution and the scarcity and struggle and terror and disease and, and, and death. It's all history to them. They're in Christ waiting. And waiting impatiently. How long, O Lord? To the end. But, you need to listen to these folk. Because they are rejoicing. I mean, listen to them. Verse 10. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, thrown into the Lamb. And oh, oh wait a minute. Here comes, here comes the angels and the four living creatures again. Whenever they hear anybody giving praise to Jesus, they hustle right over and they fall on their faces and everybody's worshiping, saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's what's happening. This is the church triumphant who has come out of the tribulations of the first seals, out of the battle of sin and misery. They've been washed, they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, verse 14. Yes, and you and I have done so too, and we will. And look at verse 15. He says, therefore, they are before the throne. That's where we'll gather. In the presence of the Lamb. You will never know how close you can get to Jesus until that blessed day of the church triumphant. And what will we be doing there? We'll be serving him day and night. So verse 1 of chapter 8 says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. Now I think um, that half hour is there uh, for the purpose of segueing or moving into the second cycle, the blowing of the seven trumpets, which we'll engage with next Lord's Day evening. The seventh seal which brings about the peaceful silence, represents completeness. This is the end of the first set of cycles. This is the glorious end of redemptive history. You just saw it all. It started with the with sin of Adam and Eve and all of these horrible things that we all go through because of, of that sin and ends up with the return of Christ and the glorious scene in heaven. Um, this is completion. It's all over here, you see. The church triumphant. The church is safe in heaven. And they're worshiping and they're enjoying Jesus for eternity. That's our service to him. And can, you, can you bear hearing those verses 15 and 17 again? Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he will sit on the throne, will shelter them with his presence They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
We're now engaged in battle as the church militant, yes. But redemptive history is moving surely step by step. Patience, brothers and sisters, patience. God, who knows his good purposes in it all, knows his people. We are marked. He will bring us home to worship. We too will sing with the saints and serve him forever as the church triumphant. And that pays all. That's as good as it gets. Lord God, thank you for this beautiful little portion of scripture that, that brings to an end uh, uh, the first cycle, brings to an end this first look at, at, at life in this, in this age, life in the church um, uh, uh, militant and, and the promise of life in the church triumphant. Lord, give us patience and wisdom to battle wisely and well in your grace and by your strength. And with the assurance, Lord, that you know who belongs to you and you will keep us to the end. Amen.